one of my favorite things is is developing people. And uh, the reason why I love doing that is because I know how much I was, I know you had, I think, Maniage on a podcast who was uh, Matt Maniage, who was my DM when I was an intern. And I just remember how he made me feel and how I felt Mm -hmm. after he had uh, developed me in in X, Y, or Z. And so that's why I love what I do. Um, I could, you know, I was, I was having some self-inflection because I'm 29 now and you know, you get to 30 and you're like, well, this thing's halfway done. What are we, uh, what are we doing here? And, uh, and, and so I was like, well, you know, when you're in just in sales, you, you can make more money in a lot of cases than being in management. I think every, anybody who's in management or sales management knows. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. Welcome to the show, and thank you for hitting the subscribe button. We've got a bunch of great shows this season, and Matt Rudig is here. Matt Rudig is the director of sales and the director of ops of the company he founded. We're going to talk about what does that mean? What does a director of sales do? What does a director of ops do? Matt is the record-setting and paradigm-changing district manager from way back when at College Works, and he says that excellence is accomplishing something different and memorable as perceived by others. We're going to get into what does that mean. He's going to talk about channeling his competitive focuses into a productive focus through knowing your situation, knowing yourself, pushing, and using that chip on your shoulder if you've got one. He says that success in management is about how you make people feel. And we're going to talk about what type of person goes into management. Thank you for listening to the show and welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Well, Matthew Rudig, well, actually, it's not long time no see because I have a statue of you in my office or a one of those, you know what the statue is. It's got your face yeah, in my yeah. office. And there's a couple very, of them. very effeminate uh, photo that that we chose for that statue, too. I look I look really manly with a big old poofy hair and that looks great. Uh, that's not our fault. But I do have a statue of, in, of you in my office. So not long time. No, see, <laughs> but welcome to the edge of excellence. I'm going to start the way I always start. What is your definition of excellence? And I guess it would include having a statue made of you because you made such a big impact on the company. But what is it besides that? Yeah, no, I, uh, well, good to see you. You know, you got a beautiful face. You got to keep people with beautiful faces in your, in your life. And right as you um, said that the camera, the camera went out of focus for some reason. <laughs> even, um, even with the nappy beard that my wife makes me have that I hate. Um, I, I, appreciate I sometimes like to, hop trains uh as well and so uh you have to look the part i uh i think the excellence <laughs> is pretty subjective right i think that uh you know you look up the dictionary definition which i did because i am a student of uh the language and uh yeah it's something that sticks out and so i think that excellence is more or less defined as someone who sticks out whether it's you know uh, a great dad or you know, obviously we, we work together. There are just people that when they walk in the room or when they accomplish something or when they do something, you're like, wow, like that was, that was different. Um, that was, that was memorable. And I think that's, uh, that was what, what excellence really boils down to, whether, you know, it's a personal or a professional achievement, P- other people know and can feel it. It's more, I, I view excellence as more of a feeling of others that they feel about you, not necessarily about the performance that you put on necessarily. So yeah, I think that excellence is uh, when other people know that you are at the top of your, your food chain or at the top of your game and whatever you're doing. So other people know or notice accomplishments that are different and measurable. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, like there are a lot of, you know, I'm a, I'm a big NFL guy and like, 
there are a lot of great quarterbacks in the NFL, but when you watch Tom Brady, when you watch Aaron Rodgers, it, they're throwing, they're, they're playing the same game that everybody is. They're, they're throwing the old pigskin around, you know, they're banding it around. And, and, uh, and, and I think that when you watch those two, there are a lot of other great quarterbacks, but you just, there's, there's a feeling like that, you know, you're watching something excellent. And so I don't think they're doing anything on any particular play. That's excellent. Uh, but just their overall aura of, of what they're doing is excellent. And you feel that maybe when they even don't. Um, so yeah, I think it's more about what other people perceive uh, your achievements to be than, than, uh, than what the actual achievement is. So that's, that's so the opposite of Zen and enlightenment and, you know, what do we care what other people think, but people that are excellent, people that are doing excellent things usually are pretty humble. I, I, I think that people are humble naturally. And so, you know, you go talk to someone that's crushing it. And, you know, I've got this friend who uh, um, I think you met him before he came and spoke and he had, you know, CEO of Oakley and has all these big action brands now. And I was sitting with him uh, in a van in Patagonia, Argentina. And I said, hey, you must just be so proud of yourself. I mean, you you've crushed it. And he he said, no, not really, not really. I thought I'd be doing a lot better. And I, I was just blown away Or another buddy of mine whose family has a basketball team. And I'm sitting there and I, I say, Hey, what are you doing, dude? Do you need more? And he's just doing deals and learning a new career, learning a new industry. And his family's all involved. And his sister went to some uh, MBA program. I go, we'll just say her name's Lisa. Cause it is say, Lisa, what are you doing? Uh, Rhett, can't you just rest on your laurels? You're making me tired. They don't see themselves as excellent. It's like the horizon that you never get there. So I really actually, the, the last podcast, here's a, here's a little secret for the audience. We don't do this live. So uh, this recording is happening right after the second episode of the season came out. And you're probably going to be the 20th episode of the season. And I was okay. listening, I was listening to uh, the, the podcast yesterday because they or two days ago, they come out on Tuesdays and it was my favorite podcast. And during the podcast, I said, that's my favorite definition of excellence. And I guess we're getting better and better and better every time because I haven't heard anybody else say it's the feeling of others. It's the perceptions of others. Other people know or notice accomplishments that are different and meaningful. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. you know, Tom Brady, everybody knows he's probably the greatest of all time. I wonder if he thinks he's excellent. I bet he doesn't because there's that natural humility that you can always do better. Maybe excellence is thinking personally, I can always do better. But other people are sitting there going, oh, my God, look at what you've done with your career. Look at what you're doing with your career. Look what you've done with your family. Look what you've done with your community. And, you know, that humility kind of makes that maybe part of what the definition should be. Yeah, I think that's right, you know, and 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 I think that maybe if you dive a little bit deeper into the meta, you look at w what makes excellent people excellent and it's their it's their self-perception does not match the perception of others. And I think that's a big part of it, you know. Like if I'm sitting in the if I'm sitting in Argentina, I'm thinking, "Well, oh, this, this is nice. You know, I've, I've done well for myself, you know." But someone who maybe uh, you know, a step or two above me sitting there and and they're not happy with where they're at, you know, that that's that's that that perception gap that I think a lot of excellent people have. It's like it's a, yeah, resting like on your that. laurels. That, that's the nice one, you know, a little fifties or sixties uh, saying there. But but no, I, I think that's uh, yeah, that the self perception of yourself. And you, you, I think you said it really re really well that that's why they're so humble is because it's like you know like I, you know Tom Brady he's got seven rings on his hand but he he feels like he hasn't done shit like he doesn't have eight. And everybody else is like, well, Tom, you got seven rings on your hands. Like, oh, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. So I think that's 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 a, a pretty close, pretty close uh, definition of it. Wow. The perception gap. Yeah. I, uh, a lot of the guests talk about how you, you know, you're kind of the sum of your five closest friends. I like to go spend time. If you're listening to your car at 1.5 speed, take a look at your friends. Are they dragging you down or dragging you up? I like to sit there and just be amazed. And you know, this one guy, you know, I was friends with his sister. And I think you met his sister too. I think she came and spoke to the company when you yeah, were there. We did sure. a panel discussion with her. You're talking, you're talking about the Kings, right? Yeah. And, yeah. So, and uh, you know, I, so Lisa and I are really good friends. Like we're best friends. 
And her brother's like, who's this dude? Why is he best friends with my sister? And so I could tell he was reaching out. So I had this kind of volunteer job where we were membership chair of our little cult, our business cult that we belong to. And we got to decide who came in. And I like to pick other people to do it with. So I picked him. I said, hey, um, why don't you come do this with me? And I'm spending all this time with him for two years. And it's just so inspirational because I'm sitting there thinking, man, if I was as successful as he is and his family's super successful, his mother, super successful, highly respected, his father, super successful, highly respected. They, they build this business. The kids take over the business. The kids sell the business. You know, they end up with this basketball team and they're out there doing more and more. And I'm sitting there, you know, I can't contemplate what it would be like if I was in that situation, but I watch and I say, God, I hope I would be crushing it, challenging, growing, learning. But I, I, you know, that's very interesting. The perception of others does matter in excellence. Well, you've, you've had a life of excellence. And like I mentioned in the beginning, we've got two statues of you in our office from way back when, when you used to work with us. And, you know, I remember uh, you moving, you became a father, you moved, you gave up your business because you wanted to be an excellent dad. And I knew right then, and everybody around you knew right then, it's not stopping. You're going to crush it. So let's go way back to high school. You didn't just end up, you know, walking, waking up one day and being the founder of a company. You had to go through some experiences before you were the founder of Platinum Decking. And we can find Matt Rudig at PlatinumDecking.com. Is that where we find you? That's right. You can find PlatinumDecking.com. You can find our a beautiful decks, as well as some of our excellent salespeople. And uh, I'm one of the founders, not one of the owners. So you can find our owners there as well. But uh, yes, correct. But you're the direct, your director of sales and operations. Um, we can, you can find Matt on LinkedIn. Just look up Matt Rudig. There's not a lot of, there's a lot of Matt Stewart's. There's not a lot of Matt Rudig's and there's only one real Matt Rudig. But before you are the famous Matt Rudig that we know and love, what was life like? What were you doing in high school? What was going on? I know you were working as a landscaper at some water park, but what were you doing? Well, in high school, uh, I you know I came from a lower middle class background. You don't know what class you are when you're growing up, so you know you look back and you realize, oh man, oh, oh, humble beginnings. I, 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 I knew what class I was, and my mom hates it because I, I mentioned it once in a while. Yeah, I didn't have any money growing up. My mom's like. We did not have any money. I'm like, mom, we didn't have a whole lot of money, uh, but we were wealthy and other things, other things. So you right. grew up in a, right. in a middle, same, same background as me, start off lower middle class. Your parents work their asses off. They end up upper middle class by the time they're done and you're out. And then you look back and you try to, you know, the American dream grow from there. So you're lower middle class, you're growing up. What's going on? Um, I was a, uh, you know, I was a competitive guy. My, uh, my uh, parents uh, my whole family is not what uh, you would consider in uh, gym circles to be in shape. Uh, so we were not a competitive family, uh, very much a, you know, that they, they were, you know, book smart, liked, liked reading, liked the language. You know, my, my parents got me a ton of books. I was always into English literature and, uh, you know, three syllable, four syllable words and figuring out how to confuse my friends just by speaking the same words, but with different meaning. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I played basketball. And there was one time in fifth grade, I got, I, I was like crying. I was so mad that we lost. And that's when I realized that, uh, that I was a competitive guy and, uh, you know, you can use that to your advantage or you can be a, you know, a, a hothead who just punches walls and gets pissed about video games. And so I channeled that into being a great basketball player and football player. I, uh, led my team, my high school team and points rebounding. I don't know about assists, but all the different stat categories I, I took, uh, Little town of Stock Prairie to State in basketball, um, and uh, no, that's when I, I really realized that uh, you know if you have drive and competitive spirit and uh, the will, uh, then you know it doesn't matter if you're you know six one and white playing against a bunch of you know six five guys from uh, Milwaukee. You know you you can you can make it work. Um, and so yeah, that was a little bit about my my background. And then uh, yeah, I got uh, I got hired. Well, actually, first job I had. Um, I, uh, I was a door to door salesman. Uh, I, I how old, doors. how old? Uh, I was 17. I sold doors. So it didn't go well. And then, uh, then I got a landscaping job. And, uh, so that, that was fun. Uh, if you've ever been to Noah's Ark water park, uh, landscaping is a relatively loose term there. I, uh, but basically I was a big football guy, right? So there was this hill. Have you ever been to Noah's Ark water park, which I'm sure 
our audience just loves. And on it was the Anaconda ride. And there's a super steep hill. So what you'd have to do is you'd have to tie a rope to the lawnmower and lower it down and then pull it back up. And you had to wear like football cleats. So that was uh, that was an interesting. That sounds experience. safe. It was, uh, you know, you know, and, and the guys who I was working with, there's, you know, there's a bunch of exchange guys. So like a Turkish guy named Ahmed. Only words he knew was good morning. Super nice guy. He was just so jacked about the mornings. Uh, yeah. So it was it was a good experience. Uh, good. I think I think everyone should have a physical labor job if they can do it, uh, because it, it does humble you. It, you know, it, it, you talk about driving it. It makes you realize like, oh, my God, like, I, I don't want to do this. I, I should probably go get an education and and uh, read some uh, some thick books. Uh, so, yeah, after that, I uh, did a little uh, internship called College Works and uh, did pretty well. So. OK, so you're in high school and just a couple. We got to we got to do a couple side notes. You mentioned that everybody's out there. There's all these quarterbacks. You know, I'm not a sports person, but I do like to watch Monday Night Football. And they're all the quarterbacks and they're playing the same thing. And Tom Brady's excellent. They're all throwing the pigskin, except for the quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals. He didn't have a very good showing, did he? That quarterback does not count as a pro quarterback. And I don't know what his name is. But I watched him in the playoffs. Uh, first of all, their punt received team and their kickoff received team never made it past the 12 yard line. Uh, one point in time, they're on the three yard line and he's about to get sacked for a safety. And instead, he throws an interception. I mean, I've never seen anything worse than that. So shout out to the Cardinal ownership. Get rid of your quarterback. He's horrible. So well, I just. The, you know, it's tough. It's tough because you know the Kyle. His name's Kyler Murray, right? He's a, he's an incredible athlete. He was drafted by the A's and chose football, but he's like five three, like five four. I mean, I mean these these linemen that are blocking in front of him are like six four, six five. So you know, it's almost like you know hiring a toddler to paint the eaves of your house. It's like, well, you know, this guy could be a really good. You know, this toddler could be a very good painter, but I don't, I don't know if she's going to be able to reach those things. So I I don't know. He's, he's a great talent, but you know, you can't. Uh, you, you can't teach height, you know, so and, and it was a tough game for him. Well, he made it he made it pretty far in life at, at that height in that profession. So he must be pretty, pretty good at what he does. Must practice a lot, must try pretty hard. But he sucked. Second thing to the lawnmower. When I was a kid, I used to go to England in the summers because I was a bad kid and my grandparents would take me there. Is, is, is that what they do with bad kids? They send well, I, I don't know if you know this, but I thought it was a reward all my life. And then when I turned 40, I was sitting at the dinner table talking about, you know, my, my kid, who's an angel, he's absolute angel. I, he's just the greatest kid. But when he was young, you know, boys are tough. And I said to my parents, you know, was I as tough as Jake? And my dad stopped, looked at my mom, looked back at me and said, we knew this day would come. And then they walked me through <laughs> my life from their perception, which was the opposite of my perception. So I thought, hey, my grandparents were really close going to England to see my grandparents. Yay. Everybody loves me. No, in actual fact, my grandparents were rescuing me because they thought my parents would end up killing me and be in jail. So they were protecting my little brother from having jailed parents and getting me out. But I went to this place called Windsor Castle where, you know, you see it on the news and they had the moat mm -hmm. around it and they had these things called fly mowers. And they were like hovercraft lawnmowers and they tied a rope to them. Just like you said, they dropped them down the hill, but they could swing them back and forth because they were hovercraft lawnmowers to mow the lawn. And I've never forgotten. I was probably 11 when I saw it. I thought it was so cool. I don't know why in the greatest country in the history of the world, we didn't have fly mowers when you were younger uh, doing that job because <laughs> that would have made your job a lot easier, but we digress. So we'll get back to it. You're in high school. You're focused on learning and growing, right? You said you yeah. got this competitiveness that you're channeling. And somebody listening right now is looking for a way to channel it. So you start off by channeling it and in, into a sports. You get a little older, probably want to get a little bit of money. And then you channel it into business. You did the college works thing in college. So let's just talk about college real quick. Uh, where'd you go to college? UW-Whitewater, home of the Warhawks. Home of the Warhawks. Lovely. So you're in Whitewater, which Whitewater, by the way, shout out to University of uh, Wisconsin, Whitewater. We that was the greatest recruiting school in the history of our company. Small school. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, it was just it was totally made up of just like like farm kids who like wanted to, you know, be a better, you know, better than their parents. It was such a 
uh, white collar mentality, blue collar school. It couldn't be uh, more tailor made for the college works program. Right? Yeah. So the, we, we need people that work hard. The world needs people that work hard. So you go to a school where people are channeling their competitiveness into work where mm-hmm. people are coming up and they've had jobs. They've been comp- channeling their competitive drive into probably sports. They've been channeling almost everyone into different jobs, trying to kick butt in their jobs. And then, you know, we had that internship, so we'd get a few people, but they always just crushed it at Whitewater because they had those building blocks. So you're at Whitewater and, you know, you started working with college works at what age? Uh, 19. 19. Freshman year. Yeah. Freshman year, which I used to say, don't hire any freshmen. Then that, maybe it was you, but all of a sudden, everybody that wins the awards every year is a freshman. So you won all the awards. You set all the records. By the way, no one makes a statue of you and puts it in their office because you're average. They only do it, not even if you're excellent. They do it if you're the most excellent of all time. So you were the most excellent of all time, district manager, and then you did it again. And then uh, after school, you went off and um, started a company with us. Then you had your daughter and moved back to, um, I thought you moved back to the Chicagoland area. Yeah, land of Lincoln. Yeah, yeah, okay. it's, uh, it's, it's a real thrill. Yep. So, so you, <laughs> you moved back to the Chicagoland area. So what was going on with you in, in college to where you decided, and, you know, College Works Internship doesn't exist except for in like 12 states in the Midwest. So if you're on the East Coast or West Coast, sorry, you got to find something else. So what were you looking for? How did you identify that internship? What can you tell our listener listening in the car right now at 1.5 speed? a system or a way to find something that's going to back to your, your channeling of your competitive drive channeling of your effort into the most productive focus internship wise. Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I don't know if I had a, a goal of a, a certain mindset or vision of what I wanted out of an internship. I know that I was very realistic with myself and I, I had, I had friends who, um, had, had dads who were amazing. Like my dad, you know, he's a pretty average guy. I love my dad. He's just, you know, he's, he's a fella, he's an average fella. And, uh, so I knew that my, my friends had these dads who own insurance companies and they were on boats in the middle of Lake Wisconsin and all these, you know, all these bells and whistles. And so I knew that, that I was not going to get by, uh, with the networks that I had. And I'd always been told growing up, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. And um, as you get older, you realize just how how true that that statement is. And so what I was really looking for is A, a way to uh, channel my competitive spirit uh, because I didn't have basketball at that point. Um, I was I was not playing collegiately. And uh, I think the bigger other big thing was just meeting new people that were better than I was. Um, you know, the, the old phrase, you know, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're, the, you're in the wrong room. I, I took that to heart early on. And so I think College Works was a was a great fit for me because it was so individualized and so competitive. And so uh, it, it really was tailored towards what I, I what my motivations were. And, and again, uh, it was also a internship where I was surrounded by people and, and, and I, I learned very quickly that, you know, it was, it was in UW Madison and all these nice state schools where the, the kids were, you know, from frankly, well off or, or, or better positions that I did. And I was like, wow, this is a great opportunity to network and meet people who are smarter or, or more well off than I am and learn from them and learn from their families. And so, yeah, that, that's the big thing is, is, is I don't want to say that, you know, find something that uh, channels your inner competitiveness because you might not be competitive. You might be very passive, but you you have other strengths that bring out the best in you. You've got to find something that brings out the best in what you know you're best at. And I think that ties into the old excellence thing is that the, the best people I work, I work with so many freaking good people. I know you have Brie Kaufman on your podcast. I, I work with so many people. And I think that she's probably one of the most talented people, maybe the most talented people I've ever worked with. And she's very singular about figuring out what she does well and then doing the things that bring out those characteristics. And, um, and so, yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing is that don't find an internship that you think is good because other people tell you it is, you got to figure out, okay, what am I good at? What brings out my best performance? And does this internship help me 
to being out my best performance. And, and, and again, I think just overall, everyone should be looking for an internship where you expand your network and you, uh, you're you again, not the smartest person in the room, pretty much the entire internship. And if you do those, you know, those two things, you're going to probably find a good fit. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of the show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com podcast. Now, back to the show. So you, you have a system there. One, know what you need. Know your situation. If you're listening right now, and you're driving, don't write this down. But if you're not driving, step one, know your situation. You needed more knowledge. So you went to college. You needed more knowledge and experience. So you knew you needed to get an internship. You wanted a better network. So know your situation. What do you do well? Where do you need to improve? What do you need? Two, know who you are. You knew you had to channel your competitive spirit. If you didn't, you knew something was going to go wrong. So you found a productive out, uh, an outlet um, because you knew you needed to. And then three, push yourself. Now you have a fourth one, which I love. Use the chip on your shoulder. Use the chip. So you're everybody else has more money. They've got a bigger boat. I want that. These guys suck. They're all spoiled. <laughs> My, mine, by the way, and uh, shout out to Ken Johns of Ken Johns Lincoln Mercury in Albuquerque, New Mexico, for pissing me off so much as a 15 and 16 year old and screwing with me so much as a 15 and 16 year old that it actually drove me. And if I went to a psychologist right now, they'd say, let it go. I'm not letting it go. I hated that guy then. I hate that guy now. One of my podcasts, I wasn't supposed to say this, but I had a dream of flying around in a private plane and crapping and flushing the toilet over and over and over on his house, which oh, one, day, one day I will do. Channel that, right? So I leave Albuquerque, New Mexico, where this asshole made my life miserable for no reason. He made a mistake. He misunderstood something. He blamed me for something I didn't do, but he had the power and I didn't. And I decided I wanted to have the power too. Now it was a chip on my shoulder and I was young and dumb and wanted to use it in the wrong way. And then later in life, I realized what real power is. You're doing favors for people. You're taking care of people. You're not screwing with some 15 year old's life while you're 45 year old. Cause you're some punk living in Albuquerque, trying to be the king of the molehill. Um, not saying that Albuquerque is a molehill, but I did move out of there at 19 years old as a birthday present to myself. But I use that chip and I love this. I get to do whatever I want because it's my podcast, right? So I can say whatever uh -huh. I want. I'm just wondering if I could be sued for that. Can I be sued for saying I feel like Ken Johns is an asshole? I don't think so. But everybody listening, someone in the car has some time that they felt inferior or something that pissed them off or some chip on their shoulder or something they're driving for. You know, I go to these speakers that talk about raising non-entitled kids and they speak to all the wealthy people about non-entitled kids. Well, you and I didn't have that problem. Uh, <laughs> you, have that pro you have that problem when you have too much money. So channel that chip. And then as you grow older and wiser, you realize probably through a lot of counseling, which I had to go through, you realize that it's not about vengeance. It's not about, um, proving your ego, you realize you finally get some power and you get whatever you're looking for. And then you go, okay, I can use this better. 
So yeah, you're well, pushing- and, and, you know, ven- vengeance is a nice thing though. You know, you don't want to let that type of stuff go. I mean, you ever seen taken? I mean, that, you know, vengeance is a, it's a big thing. So, yeah. you know, it, whatever motivates you, I just use it wisely. You know? yeah, they say a recession is a horrible thing to waste. Everything bad can be used good. And every anger emotion is just masking some emotion. So when you figure out that you shouldn't really be angry, that it should be something else, then you can channel it. But yet again, we digress. So you go to college, you do the college works gig, you kick all sorts of butt, you uh, decide that family first, good on you, family first, and you come back and everybody knew who you were. Everybody knew how awesome you were. Everybody knew that you're the person they want to work with. So you go into this business with these other two dudes, uh, Kyle and Tom, shout out to Kyle and Tom, and you start this platinum decking, which is just growing and growing and growing. And in that in that company, you function as the director of operations and you're the head of sales, too. Right. Yep. Yep. Correct. So so people don't know what that means. So what does it mean to be a director of operations? What do you do as a director of operations? What skills do you need? What what do you do in the daily life of director of operations? So, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I started the company, uh, with Tom and Kyle and, uh, they were obviously, uh, well, maybe not obviously to our audience cause they're maybe not, um, um, in the intimate relationship stage with Tom and Kyle quite yet. Um, but, uh, I, uh, I started the company and these guys were essentially funding it. Uh, and for the first year I was doing everything. I, I went door to door as, uh, as far as starting our sales. Um, I, uh, managed all of our production crews made orders, made permits. I mean, everything under the sun, they were taking care of their thing over here. And I was starting this thing over here. And so, you know, that, that was, uh, that was probably the most challenging of the years, uh, because I was doing literally everything and crying to myself at night. Oh God, this is so hard. Not really hard. But, uh, but overall we made it through there and then we got a sales team under us and Hired uh, a couple all stars, uh, Bree and uh, Christina, and they did an excellent job of expanding our sales. And so I got obviously into my sweet spot, which is you know the management of a salesperson and inspiring someone to achieve higher. And um, I'm I, I believe that I'm a very good uh, management uh, in that sense that I don't micro and I let them figure out the small details and and, and make sure I drive big picture as much as possible. So got into my sweet spot once we had a sales crew. And now uh, I basically kind of do it, kind of do it all. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't deal with maybe the the nitty gritty of the day-to-day like I did in, in year one, but as director of sales and operations, I, I manage our sales team. I, I already, it's, it's 1250. I've talked to each one of our salespeople uh, twice today. We, uh, we obviously have operations. So I was out at a job site, getting it ready, making sure the client knew what everything was going on. The production manager knew everything that was going on. So, yeah, I mean, it's more of a, uh, it's more of a leadership. I mean, I, if you want to call it leader of platinum decking or one of the leaders of platinum decking, it's just uh, a day-to-day, how can I be a good leader? How can I motivate all these different types of people to uh, come together and, uh, and, and make an excellent product for our clients? So that's, uh, that's a little bit of what I do. Yeah. So um, you're, you're you're 25 years old or 23 years old. You're driving through Texas right now. Listen to this because you're trying to figure out what to do. And a director of sales, as you define it, first of all, you have to have strong relationship skills. So if you haven't done the disc test, you haven't listened to the disc episode, go do it. You can go on to the collegeworks.com slash podcast and we can send you the, the white paper on disc. You need to, as a director of sales, kind of be in the influencer area, probably in the driver area and and the supporter or steady area works too, because you're focused on inspiring. You are doing some management. You are tracking. You say you don't do micromanagement, but you know what the goals are. You're measuring everything. So that that's the kind of compliance, um, conscientious to see side. You don't like to do it very much because that's not your personality. Your personality is the, the, the influencer. The I, inspire. Your personality is the driver. You're driving the vision. You're driving the big picture. You're maintaining relationships. There's probably a lot of training of people if you're director of sales. So you don't get to be director of sales unless you've done sales because you need to know how to train it. So that's, right. I'm going to bifurcate your job. So that's the director of sales. Then you're also talking about the director of operations. And if you're listening right now, operations is what the company does. So if you're in the construction field, that's making sure the product gets to where it needs to be. Uh, the people are there to 
put the product together. You've got the quality control. So you're into your communication skills, also influencer, also supporter. You're making sure people are hitting budgets, also driver, also influencer. Your quality control, communications, again, relationships, you're leading, you're motivating, another influencer trait. So a lot of times people will be director of operations and finance. That's the person that's the C. And that gets to your startup point. If you're in a startup, uh, for those of you listening, you want to get into a business, you start off getting dirty. You do it all. And what Matt did, he didn't go into the accounting side. That's not who he is. He went into the sales and operations side, the accounting sides for someone else, because you get dirty, you do it all. And then later on, you specialize in what you're best at and hire others. And you hear Matt saying, I'm best at management. And, you know, I, I, I talk about the statue, you know, college works, a big number was 500 grand. And the biggest number ever, I think, was 800 grand. And then out of the blue, Matt does a million. And then he does it again, just to make sure we didn't think it was a fluke. Uh, talk back to your definition of excellence, uh, accomplishment that's different, different and memorable. Uh, you get a statue. I, I remember it because there's a statue in my office of it. Other people. Is it, is it, is it naked? Because uh, I posed naked for a guy and I didn't hear anything back. Um, no, it's thing? not. No, it's oh. not. Thank God. Uh, oh, and I God. know you know that you have been incredibly funny on this show, and I really appreciate the humor. And I, I can't wait to listen to this. I listen to these things on Tuesday. I giggle and giggle and giggle the whole time. I was listening to the other podcast, and there's a lot of humor. I was like, oh, man, I'm like, I don't, like, don't want to come on here and just talk about like empty fucking platitudes and all that shit. Like, I just want to, you know, man, put a smile on your face, put some, uh, you know, some facts in your head, that type of shit. So I'm glad you said that. Yes. Well, I appreciate the foul language, and I appreciate the alluding to nakedness no you were not naked um but you did memorable things you did call things, that guy <laughs> you did you did uh, you did do things that people notice and so you move into this director of operations director of sales job um what is the best part of it you know if you look you've been in sales you've been in oh i also got to mention this by the way you talked about how you had this horrible job doing landscaping if you're listening you have to have horrible jobs. You don't get the CEO position, the founder position. You go out and work hard to learn to work hard. That's the labor. You go out and knock on doors and sell doors or work in a restaurant to learn the communication. I love that you were selling door-to-door doors. Um, well, what's funny, what's funny too, is that I I, I was like, oh, this, this, this isn't working out. You know, there's a, I'm knocking on these doors. Obviously, these folks have a door. And uh, then I, uh, I did door-to-door again. And uh, I, I chose wrong again. I sold bri- brick and mortar. And I was like, oh, God, uh, just behind the times, really, is what I was. So and then you sold but paint no. jobs door to door. And, <laughs> you know, I hate door to door. I hate it. Everybody hates it. But man, that's where you prove your gumption. Man, you get some good communication skills, waiting tables, yeah. busting tables, you know, having to deal with always being happy, even if you're not. Always have it smiling on your face if you're not. Making the customer feel good, even if you don't feel good. Those are the building blocks that get you to the point where you can get an awesome internship. The internship gets you an awesome job. Maybe the job's not right for you. But if you are if you keep, as you say, doing things that are memorable that people notice, in, in your case and many other people's cases, they're waiting, they're watching, they're like sharks waiting. When is Matt Rudig going to be available? Oh, he's available. Boom, let's start a company with him. Right. Yeah, I know. I mean, get back to your initial point of, of what, you know, I, I, I like the best about the job. It's got to be, um, it's, it obviously, it's, I, I really want to stay away from cliches, but I think that the people is the best part of my job. And I think that building those relationships. Yeah, you stole all the people from me. I, well, easy there. And some of them, some of them are my favorites. I'm, I'm pretty much there's. A, I have a lot of favorites. I have a lot of favorites. But you got a lot of my. You don't have any of my not favorites. Well, well, that, you know, you don't want to, you know, bring in somebody that fucking uh, sucks. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, like it, it is cool because because one of my favorite things is is developing people. And uh, the reason why I love doing that is because I know how much I was, de- you know, you had, I think, Maniage on a podcast who was uh, Matt Maniage, who was my DM when I was an intern. And I just remember how he made me feel and how I felt mm-hmm. after he had uh, developed me in, in X, Y, or Z. And so that's why I love what I do. Um, I could, you know, I was, I was having some self-inflection because I'm 29 now and 
you know, you get to 30 and you're like, oh, this thing's halfway done. What are we, uh, what are we doing here? And, uh, and, and so I was like, well, you know, when you're in just in sales, you, you can make more money in a lot of cases than being in management. I think every, anybody who's in management or sales management knows that, uh, you know, if you're a top salesman at a company, you're making a lot more than a lot of the people who are above you. And so I kind of had that self-inflection point where I was like, well, maybe I should, you know, I've got a house now, I've got a daughter, I've got some hobbies, you know, I want to buy a horse. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe I should do some sales, but at the end of the day, you know, selling paint, you know, paint jobs or deck jobs or doors or brick and mortar, uh, it just doesn't make you very happy. Um, or at least it doesn't make me very happy. Make some well, people makes happy. Me, makes right. some people happy. Right. But like for me personally, I know what drives me is building a relationship and building a close connection with someone and them being like, holy cow, like I, I accomplished all my goals and, 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 and I can't thank you enough. And, and you, you made me realize that, you know, personally, I needed to do this and professionally it, it rubbed off. And, and, and so that's why I love the most about this job and about, um, you know, whether you want to be a director of sales, a director of management, director of anything. Um, if you're in a leadership role, you have, you have to, I think, number one, relish uh, that you're going to build people. You're going to build relationships. You're going to take on that dad or that mom role. And, uh, and so, yeah, I would, I would say that, you know, that, that's probably the most rewarding part of the job for sure. Yeah. And I, I wrote that down success and management. A lot of it is how you make people feel. Yeah. 100%. How you, 100%. you mentioned, you mentioned inspire, but you, you also have to care, right? You're a caring person. If you're not a caring person, management's not the best place. Now, you know, there are people, and I mentioned this once in a while that are just cracking the whip and crushing people. And, you know, the, the, the female uh, role on Lone Star, just that hard charging, beat everybody up and they succeed. And, you know, I'm, I don't have anything uh, against that, but I also don't have a lot of friends like that. They're out there. I choose to not make them my friends because I have friends that have the same values. And most people, the majority of successful people are concerned about how they make people feel. If you're the salesperson, you just want to be the salesperson. And I had somebody on the podcast. They're so excited. It may have been Brianna. So excited about how their customers feel and the relationship with the customer and making that customer. You and I talked, you know, when we were in the DM role, which there's a DM district manager exists in every company. It, but for us at CollegeWorks, it was the sparkle in their eyes. You see someone that just had no idea what they had in them. And all of a sudden, their eyes just start to sparkle and they figure it out. You know, that kept me coming back for more. Not the money, definitely not the hours, not the trip to Cabo or Cancun. I now hate going to those places, but I go down there because I see the sparkle. And I was right. thinking, oh, I got to go down to Mexico again. I hate this. And then I go down there and it's like, oh, my God, I'm so glad I'm down here. These people are so inspirational how you and the people that work with you make you feel. Are you surprised by where you are in life at such an early age? Um, I don't know. You know, you know, when, when you get to 30, you know, you, I think a lot of people, when they get to 30, they have the same moment that I did where they're like, okay, like where, where are we at on this, uh, this lovely road of life. And, uh, it's, it's tough because I, I, for the longest time in my twenties, I felt like I was just, Oh, Matt, you made the wrong mistake here. And you said something stupid here. And then all of a sudden this whole thing blows up. And yet now I, 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 I own my own house and I have an amazing career and I love the people that I work with. And I, uh, I, I don't hate my life so much that I can't see the humor in things, which is a big plus. And so I, I look at it and I, I it's, it's tough. I, if, if you were to tell me when I was 20 that I have a house and a beautiful daughter and, uh, and she has an expensive hobby, like riding fucking horses, um, and everything is simpatico with your career. I'd be like, yeah, oh, absolutely. I'll take that. I'd like to be a season ticket holder for the Packers, but you know, you can't have it all. And, uh, I think that that's an important thing is that you always want to overachieve. And going back to our first part, like if you want to be excellent, you should never be happy with where you're at. And the same token, you should appreciate where you're at because I can guarantee you that five years ago, you probably would have been like, no way I could be there or even three years ago or two years ago. So there is that there is that appreciation that if you don't, uh, as, as you said before, uh, sit on your laurels a little bit, um, life is, you know, the old man tells the young man the most important lesson you can know is that life goes fast and the young man never understands it. And, and, and it's, it's the old man's best understanding of anything. And you got to remember that, like, if you don't appreciate what you're doing and just stop and be like, I, I can achieve more. I know I can achieve more. And I've, I've got this fire in my belly. 
um, you, you know, it, it starts to become cheap. It starts to become, uh, you know, very, very, uh, I don't know if there's a right word for it, but just, just, a uh, cheap, I think is the right word. You're, you're, you just don't appreciate those big things in life and those achievements. So, yeah, I would say, that, you know, that that's a big part of it too, is that, you know, when you do take a step back and look and think about your regrets and think about your successes, just understand, you know, it's like you're, you're doing pretty, you're doing pretty, pretty good. And, you know, and in and, and the next five years, you want to be in another position where you look back five years and be like, oh, I can't believe I did that. You know, that, that's always the goal, right? Well, the path never changes. You're constantly reevaluating back to your, your one, two, three, four model, constantly reevaluating your situation, know what you need, um, constantly knowing who you are, constantly pushing yourself. And at 29, you're more successful than most 49 year olds at, I mean, you're probably more successful than 99% of 49 year olds at 29. You got the big title. You got the fast growing business. You got um, kind of the power role and the, and the opportunity I'll say to influence others, but yeah, you're not resting on your laurels. Uh, As you said, uh, uh, there's that humility in your definition of excellence uh, that, you know, the feeling of others. I think you're crushing it, but you're sitting there going, I got to be crushing it more. Just well, like well, I was, I was sitting in the sauna with a bunch of 49 year old guys and they're just talking about all the shit that they're doing. So I was like, Oh man, I need to meet more 49 year olds, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. Or 50. Remember I'm 50. Yeah. And, and you said, you said never be happy. I'm going to correct you. Always be happy. Go read the Dalai Lama art of happiness. Read the Vedanta books on the, uh, the fall of the human intellect, two great books to read. Happiness is part of the goal. Never be satisfied. Never yeah. be satisfied. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, think back. My favorite question, last question, then I'll let you get back to it. What sacrifices did you make in your early years that you'll never regret? I There's a lot of, I don't know. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people around the world making a lot of sacrifices. I mean, you know, Jesus of Nazareth probably had the biggest one if you think about it. But I would probably say uh, that uh, for me, uh, the one thing I'll never regret is is moving back to Illinois uh, to be with my daughter. Um, That's what I was hoping you'd say. Yeah, it's just it's just something like like being a dad uh, is just so like again you know I got I got I got statues in a, in an office and uh, some guys got obviously a naked statue of myself it's you know somewhere but uh, <laughs> you know uh, there's nothing pro- like I love professional success like it's 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 intoxicating it feels good it fuels my competitive emotion. But when I, you know, when I come home or when I pick up my daughter from school and she smiles, she's like, dad. And I was just like, there's, there's uh, parents know that there's just nothing that even comes close to it. And, and spending a day with my daughter is, is just so much better than, than getting blacked out in Cancun and, and, and Hey, what a, oh, I drank, I drank too. Oh, we got told, but it's like I say, you know, I'm drinking. It's the same thing over and over again. And so, yeah, I, moving back to be with my daughter. Um, what's funny is that when I was five, I, I told my parents, I would never live in Illinois. And they're like, why? I was like, cause the bears suck. I'm a big Packers fan. It's kind of a religion up in Wisconsin. And yet, uh, I basically, you know, I want to say gave up everything because it's a little bit dramatic, but I, I basically stopped everything in my life and moved to the worst fucking state in the 50 states, in my opinion, Maine is so much better. I mean, even Alaska, it's like Christ, you can fish. But, uh, but it's, you know, I moved back here because my daughter is that important to me and family is the most fulfilling thing in the world. And I think that um, maybe I'm going off on a tangent here, but I think a lot of people who struggle with, I see a lot of like 20 somethings, uh, mid twenties, late twenties that they're like, ah, oh, like I'm, I'm so sad. Like, ah, oh, why am I so sad? First thing I say is turn off social media because it's like the fucking worst thing in the world. Yeah. Uh, the second thing I would say is like maybe try to start a family um, because for me, I, I know I, you know this. Like I, I in my early twenties and mid twenties, I was struggling to find uh, meaning. I had been kind of beaten up by life a little bit. I had taken a few haymakers, and I was just like, man, this, this, this is not a very good deal. And and then you know I had my daughter, and I was like this is like the coolest thing in the world. Like I, I am literally her, her shining and, and guiding light and just the unconditional love. You just, you know, you're reminded of, you know, one thing that kids do is they remind you of like, wow, my, I, had, I had an imagination back then. Like I was super fucking happy. And so, yeah, I, I think that's, that'll never be a regret. Um, I, I wish I uh, could change a little bit about my location and stuff like that, but like the, to, to come back and, 
and spend my life with my daughter. Um, uh, that that's something that I'll uh, I'll always be proud of myself for. That's for sure. Yeah, two things. You you get to relive your childhood through your kids. They don't know you're doing it, but you're back on the slides again. You're swimming in the pool. Everything's great. They're wearing a cape to the grocery store. And I don't care what anybody <laughs> thinks. It's just so refreshing. But uh-huh. this guy, Warren Rusted, once said, uh, no success at work makes up for failure in the home. Oh, for sure. That's a, that's a great one. That's a great one. Yeah. I mean, again, like I'm not saying that it's easy to start a family or, or to have a kid or whatever, but like, again, there's, there's, there's just, there's, there's something about the human condition. I believe that if you don't have like a dog is, is so much different than a child. Like a dog doesn't, you know, play with dolls and ask you to play, or like you said, go down the slide and, and go in the pool with you and say funny things and wear mixed match shoes. And uh, there's just something about having a kid that puts life back into perspective that no matter what's happening, like eh, you can still be happy, you know, things are, things are pretty good. So yeah, I, I think that's great. Yeah. I went to, I went to lunch yesterday with the Sherwin Williams guys and we're I'm parked there having a conference call and I look and I see my son and I'm in a whole different city. Like our office is 30 minutes from my house. And, and, and I live in Southern California. There's like 13 cities around. I see my son with his buddies walking towards the car. They just happened to have gone to the same place for lunch and they walk up and they're like, Hey, do you want to come eat with us? I mean, I kept, I keep talking about it. It was like yesterday. It's like the highlight of my day. Um, yeah. It's just, oh, it's just so awesome. I will say that uh, waiting until you have the right partner, um, planning it out is a really good way. So Matt is not endorsing just going out there and having a family or getting a dog, but he, oh, no, 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 no. Go have as much sex as possible. <laughs> and hopefully something pops out, you know, at some point, right? No, that, that's, that's what, that's what I'm endorsing. Okay. Well, uh, and on that note, we'll say it again, no success at work, no success, um, eclipses failure at the home. And Matt Rudig decided to give up a business he started, walk away because he knew that. I've always been proud to know you, Matt Rudig. You're always a leader. Just the memory of you is a leader in our company. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.